Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. No people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Fenway Rundown Podcast. Chris Cotillo here. Sean McAdam, as we said, is off for the week, enjoying Aruba, so I'll be riding solo on the pod this week. First episode of the week, and we are going across the pond. Different kind of guests, different kind of conversation, but one I think is pretty illuminating on John Henry, the owner I cover, the owner of the Red Sox, and the owner that Dave Powell covers with Liverpool FC. Dave is the chief business of football writer at Reach, for the Liverpool Echo. He's covered Liverpool and kind of the business behind that operation. And he knows John Henry and what he's doing over there well. So I thought it would be an illuminating conversation to have Dave talk about Henry's reputation in Liverpool, how they're running the club, and kind of get some insight that we don't usually hear over here stateside. For plenty of insight, as always, we have you covered on the site, MassLive.com. Twitter, the podcast everywhere, and the Fenway Rundown Insider Text. You've heard us talk about it before, but... It's a way to connect with Sean McAdam, with Chris Smith, myself, ask us questions, get answers, submit questions for our mailbag, get a preview of some news to come, some guests on the pod, and it's easy to sign up. Text award JOIN, J-O-I-N, to 617-751-6257. Simply click the link and subscribe today. $4.99 a month after a 14-day free trial. Everybody who signed up seems to love it. We thank you, Will, too. Pleased to welcome Dave Powell to the show. Dave, I think it's your first time being here. Dave is the chief business of football writer for Reach and the Liverpool Echo and in, in various forms have covered Liverpool and their business uh, for the last few years. Obviously, Dave, the connection that binds us is Fenway Sports Group and John Henry. We both cover teams owned by that group. We've had, I'm sure, similar experiences, different experiences uh, with that. And so... You know, because John Henry is so much in the crosshairs here and fans are so upset about the way the Red Sox are going, I thought it would be a good time to check in with you to kind of talk about, you know, how his reputation is across the pond, as they like to say. And just I'll give you the caveat and the warning that some of this, to use a phrase that I think is overused, not in this case, you're going to have to explain to me like I'm five years old because I am not <laughs> a, a soccer or a football guy. And I, I'm not sure, obviously, with our audience, there's going to be some people who are, some people who aren't. I know this much. 
Liverpool is in first place in the Premier League for 48 points. Uh, that was a quick Google search, and I know they've been doing well. But just, you know, uh, there's a lot to get to here. But I know they're winning. I know things have been good. Just give us kind of a status check on Liverpool, FSG, everything that, as Red Sox fans here, people would care about in, in relation to the club there. Well, the the point um, around John Henry um, facing um, particular scrutiny uh, in, in Boston at the moment with regards to the way the team's going, payroll, they weren't competitive last year, etc. And, he, and he's not talking. Um, over here, I think, if anything, uh, while last year was dominated by the potential or the, the rumoured potential that they they would consider selling the club, which was kind of that was ended fairly early early on. Um, they quickly moved to, to a minority investment that was concluded. Um, but this season, because the team has got back to winning ways and things have been all good, I mean, it's always been a strong business. Um, the, the issue for, for fans over in Liverpool is that not enough money is spent uh, in the transfer market. Um, mm-hmm. Wages. I mean, over here, Liverpool has one of the highest payrolls among any of the Premier League teams. But it's it's kind of how they engage in the transfer market over here. We have the, um, you know, there there is a fee to be paid to to kind of extricate these players from clubs, and right. it gets bigger and bigger and bigger every single year. And FSG haven't, you know, they they are reluctant uh, when, when compared to the other owners of the biggest teams in in England um, to engage in that. Um, but that said. Um, I mean, this week's news has been dominated by the fact that Jurgen Klopp, I mean, Liverpool's head coach, who spearheaded all his success over the past five, uh, past you know, past nine years or so, but certainly they've been excellent over the past five or six years. Um, he will be leaving at the end of the season. That creates a whole manner of new problems for, for FSG. But um, because of how good they've been in the main, I think it's kind of they shielded them from from. The criticism uh, maybe that they get embossed at the moment because the team isn't competitive. Last season, they weren't good. They missed out on the Champions League, which is ultimately, um, you know, big teams need to make the Champions League in order to right. get the revenues right. to meet the payroll obligations and make, sign the best players, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they didn't do that last year, first time since 2017. Uh, and that kind of saw them regress a little bit. But this season, they've they've kind of re-energized the team, brought in a lot of young players who uh, have a high ceiling for growth. Um, and yet, on, on the field, the, Liverpool are in, in good shape. Um, off the field, they are really as well. I mean, I don't think it's ever an issue that, you know, that they are, that they're not cowboys. They don't run um, run bad businesses. They run, if anything, the business is too well and too much like a business for the fans' mm-hmm. liking. So, uh, and that's been the issue over here. But, I mean, at the moment, I think Liverpool fans are, are mostly focused on making sure this is a good season to send off Jurgen Klopp. Um, and then the focus will really be on FSG at the end of this season uh, as to who they decide um, takes on the mantle from him because ultimately they'll be the ones who are kind of the lightning rod initially for, for criticism. If the team does well, then it shields them from blame, so they have to get this right, and, and it'll be Mike Gordon who plays a considerable role in that. Yeah, we'll get to Jurgen Klopp because they might have two uh, openings in terms of who's running their teams. If Alex Cora leaves the Red Sox at the end of the year, his contract is up as well. The, the interesting point I think there was, you know, not enough money in the transfer market. That sounds a lot like they're how they're proceeding with free agency here. They have signed one free agent of consequence for one year and eighteen million. They have decided to sit out on the game's biggest stars, Otani, Yamamoto. The list goes on and on, and don't seem to be over the last few years as committed to big spending. Um, 
this year. Their payroll last year was $225 million at Sam Kennedy. And Tom Warner told us a couple of weeks ago at their winter weekend event it would be down. Uh, so this is going to be kind of a new thing for them where the payroll goes down two consecutive years on purpose. When you talk about the transfer market and the lack of spending there and then that young core, does it seem to you that they are having success with or doing it maybe a different way and that this young, perhaps somewhat cheaper core is kind of you know, showing them that, hey, maybe we can win without having to spend at the higher levels. Is that kind of a philosophy change you've seen? I I think that's that's always been their um, philosophy ever since they came in. I think they've tried to find, they they they're reluctant to to spend money uh, a lot of money on players that might not have uh, a particularly long shelf life um, mm-hmm. with the team. I don't know whether that that's kind of been applicable um, in Boston, but certainly over here. For sure. <laughs> They've spent big in the past in Liverpool on players who have not really delivered um, and they've been on big wages and they're very hard to get rid of then. So the idea mm-hmm. being if you can... That's why they put so much... When they came into Liverpool, they put a lot of emphasis on creating kind of a data pipeline between the, the youth team and um, through to the, the first team and then getting scouting networks in place that looked at kind of sabermetrics, etc. Right. Um, to try and find... Uh, the value that exists in the undervalued, I suppose. So, so the team they actually that, that won the the Champions League uh, and the Premier League uh, in 2019 across to 2020, and that was a team which included players. There's a guy called um, Jorginho Wijnaldum, and, and he was actually part of a team that was relegated to the Championship, which is the league below the Premier League mm-hmm. the season before. Um, so, yeah, I mean they they found huge success in that type of thing, but. Uh, because of the way they they recruited and the way they looked at the model this season, it seems to have gone a bit, kind of reversed to that a little bit. Um, they brought brought they spent good money. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we talk about these numbers like they're nothing. I mean, they spent um, right. part of kind of sixty million on a guy called Dominic Shabozlai. He's a Hungarian um, international. He's 22, 23. He's got a huge ceiling for growth. Um, but then they spent the rest of the players they brought in are all kind of a similar age, twenty two, twenty three. Um, 21, in one case, Ryan Gravenberg from Ajax. But um, one of the guys they did bring in was a guy called... They were linked throughout the summer to, for um, a defensive midfielder, and they actually engaged in... Uh, which stunned Liverpool fans in the summer, actually. They actually placed a bid with um, Brighton uh, over here. And it was a deal for a guy called Moses Caicedo. And he uh, was... Chelsea had been chasing him for a long, long time. Um, made no bid because they were kind of trying to drive a hard bargain. And then out of nowhere, Liverpool make this £115 million bid um, for Caicedo, which would have been... uh, Sorry, £111 million bid. It would have been a a British transfer record. Mm -hmm. And it was accepted. The deal was expected to go through. And then all of a sudden, uh, Chelsea, led by uh, kind of Todd Bowley um, and and Bedadig Bali, who are, you know, US ownership uh, at Chelsea, they... Um, they swooped in in this kind of crazy 12-hour period and offered £115 million, Then he went to Chelsea and uh, FSG, or well, Liverpool, anyway, anyway, ended up moving um, for a guy called Wataru Endo, who was 30, uh, Japanese international, and paid £16 million for him. So that really angered fans at the time, I think. Um, right. Some fans, I think they saw it as kind of typical um, kind of cost-saving measure, 
um, going for a cheaper option. But in fact, um, he's actually been one of the standout players for Liverpool this season, whereas Casado has really kind of underperformed for an underperforming Chelsea. So um, it's kind of the, the recruitment has has saved their bacon a little bit, maybe in that respect. But there, were, there was a willingness to spend that money. And there is that money that exists. I mean, Liverpool are one of the biggest sporting franchises, or well, not franchise, but sporting teams on the, on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, they have a, you know, the, in terms of valuation on the club, I think it's about, it's about four and a half billion now in terms of one investment proposal I saw last year. Um, so it just goes to show the kind of the the value that exists. They they made profit last year, albeit a small one. So that in football, to make a profit of any kind um, is 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 quite some going because um, the majority of teams hemorrhage money uh, on an annual basis. So um, there is that the, the the football club is in a strong financial position. They've got I mean they've got the stadium build. I mean they've got a redevelopment of Anfield Road End, which takes a capacity to sixty one thousand now. That's mm-hmm. cost the best part of eighty million um, pounds. So there's a, they've spent a lot of money on infrastructure, but um, the team still not as much as what the rivals have. But because of Klopp, largely they've managed to. Um, achieve the success uh, despite that. And they've been a model really of, of, of how to do things, but it's when they stop being competitive, there is a problem because that's where, um, you know, the, the, the fans would see the problem lies. Yeah. I mean, I've heard from, you know, someone inside the Red Sox organization and a couple people outside that, you know, John looks at a young core over there and sees that, you know, he might not have to spend at the, the upper levels of the transfer market and bring in, these superstars and still be competitive. And I mean, I guess it makes sense thinking about, Hey, if I can get a competitive team for cheaper, you know, I might as well do that. It just here is not sitting well with the fans at all. It does sound like there are some similarities. Yeah. And I expect there will be, I mean, the, the difference is I think winning makes everything easier for ownership. Of course, no one, right. no one really cares who the owners are uh, as long as the team wins. Right. I mean, it's a, we look at, you know, ultimately the fans go to the game and they pay their money because they're invested in what happens on the pitch or the field uh, or the ice or, or the court, wherever it may be. But they, that's what they're invested in. I mean, the, when they become, uh, when, when, when that changes is when you have, I think, uh, I think last season there was a bit of, there was anger towards FSG. There was this, there was a plane actually through, flown over um, Anfield, um, which kind of hinted at like FSG out. Um, but it was during a game which Liverpool ended up winning seven nil against Manchester United, so it kind of mm. um, it didn't land how how I think they expected it to. But um, there isn't really a huge. I mean, on online it's like anywhere I mean, because Liverpool has such a global fan base and, and right. football fandom particularly tends to live and breathe the football transfer market and the dopamine hit that comes with signing new players and spending lots and lots of money, and that is kind of what draws in the huge global audience. But in the main, on Merseyside, I don't think they are, you know, they're not persona non grata, but they are seen. There is a narrative that they are they are seen as penny pinching sometimes, but also they the, the football club is in an immeasurably better position than it was when they acquired it. So they they do have some credit in the bank, um, although they've tried on occasion to to kind of um, erode that. I mean, the, the European Super League, which they signed up to, is one of those things. Right. My next but, question. <laughs> yeah. So, so nice segue there. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think to, to go back to your original point about um, a young core, etc. I think the fans, particularly in Liverpool, like young, exciting players, particularly if they're homegrown. So some of the Liverpool's most popular players are homegrown. So Trent Alexander-Arnold, um, 
he's a you know kind of turned into an absolute superstar and he he recently invested in um in the alpine f1 team um alongside a number of other kind of high profile investors um kind of redbird capital in, included in that so there is uh you know fans love that and it's been a profitable exercise for liverpool to have such a good academy but um it's all predicated on them, them winning games of football. So, you know, if 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 the Red Sox win the World Series last year or go close, I think that the you know maybe he makes an appearance at the winter weekend. I don't know, um, mm-hmm. but it's uh, it, it's one of those things, and it winning makes everything easier, and fans care less about ownership and the the kind of nuances around that when when the team does well. Um, fortunately for Liverpool, at the moment the team is doing well. Uh, but things don't you know don't last forever. There will be there will be fallow periods, and I imagine that's when FSG will come back into focus again. Yeah, I mean that's the thing here. Obviously, they they won four World Series in fifteen years, revitalized the ballpark, and now five years after the last World Series, you know, unthinkable after a ni- almost a ninety year drought. But they are very much you know I would say widely disliked by the Red Sox fan base because it seems like. In the minds of fans, that commitment to winning and definitely the messaging behind it has been um, has been off for a few years. And you know, three out of four last place finishes now in the last four seasons. You talked about reputation, how people feel. Um, you know, I think it's again a similarity where you know FSG, John Henry, Tom Warner have brought winning and you know brought winning to Liverpool in a way they hadn't have it for hadn't had it for a while. You talked about the Champions League, the Premier League wins of almost five years ago now. Um, the Super League, I think, was the last time that, you know, we heard kind of major, major headlines here. And I was watching that video this morning as I was getting ready of John Henry sitting there with the flower pot behind him and issuing a big time apology. Um, that seemed like it got uh, for, for obvious reasons. And we're not going to go into all the details of what that was, but like that seemed to get people like beyond fired up, even within a year or two years of a couple of big time titles that, you know, people had turned against them and thought he was ruining the club, the history and all that type of stuff. I think to me, it just seems like despite the winning and despite the putting a good product on the field and and changing these two, you know, iconic uh, organizations around, like they still find ways to somehow piss off the fan base, you know, greatly. And I think that video probably is the most, memorable at least on the Liverpool side part of that yeah uh, I think um there's a a few reasons to that really I mean the the Super League was was kind of widely um criticized by no I mean no by fans of every single club by governing bodies by the general public by politicians also it was seen as a dreadful dreadful idea but um on the one hand and and this is it, it is they would have signed up to it knowing that it's best to be um, in the tent, you know, weighing out than it is to, to be doing it in. So um, that's that's my view is they would have signed up to it because they didn't want to be left behind because if it would have got the green light and they would have been opted out of it, then they would have found themselves way, way back um, right. in trying to make up those kind of revenue streams. However, it was always going to be an idea which was um, knocked back and ultimately it was a, a complete lack of... Um, foresight uh, to, to, and, and really knowing I, you, I think fans were really disappointed they didn't understand I think they felt that while you know they, you know, they never felt the ownership fully understands what it is to be a scouser and this and other to be embedded into the local community and Liverpool's a real socialist city as well um, you know it's a working class socialist city it has a lot of um, 
a, a lot of kind of strong roots with um, in in the city and, and how it portrays. I mean, and the, there's certain things in, in Liverpool which don't um, apply, for, you know, for, for the rest of the UK so much. You know, the, there isn't a great affinity for the royal family in in Liverpool. I mean, and, mm-hmm. and but the city also comes comes together at, at times of hardship and really puts on a united front. You know, for Hillsborough and all those things. But um, it was the the fact that they had just completely ignored what the, the views and, and how the football club operates and, and, and its status among among the community in the city that they went went ahead and did it. Um, and I think as soon as they got wind of how bad this was going to be, because from what we can gather, it was something which nobody at the club was aware of. Um, and I think even it came as a, a surprise quite late in the day to Billy Hogan, um, who's Liverpool CEO, that this was actually uh, coming to fruition because it all happened very clandestine uh, over a weekend. The chief of UEFA didn't know exactly what was happening. Uh, obviously, UEFA's uh, European football's governing body. Uh, his the, the godfather to his child um, was in charge of Juventus at the time, and who and he was he was tasked with trying to drive this thing forward and and make this Super League happen at. While you know UEFA didn't know anything about it, so right. it was a wild, wild kind of forty-eight hours. Uh, John Henry comes out; he had to come out and, and face it up. Really, I mean, uh, uh, and and it's one of the very the only times we've really seen him before that face to camera, really address a little something to do with Liverpool is when I think it's when they won the Champions League, the Premier League. I, it slips my mind um, when he kind of re- recorded an end of season video. I imagine when Jurgen Klopp does depart at the end of this season, that's when we'll see John Henry in front of the camera again. Um, not before, but yeah, the Super League was uh, an apology, which it, it wasn't accepted. Um, it's not; it's never really been accepted. It's been maybe people understand the motivations behind it, but it's. I think everyone they they blotted their copybook. Every single one of the teams that signed up for it, um, the fans still hold that against ownership, which is. For understandable reasons, um, but it's again, it's done because it was the the best business decision to make the most money that was on offer, and ultimately, um, that's that's kind of what owners are in for it for um, for the most part. Right. Now, there's no there's no local team owners that just I mean that just want to fund success, just you know, from a purely altruistic point of view. I think it's uh, you know these are businesses and they're big, big businesses, multi billion pound businesses, and and they want to maximize revenues but ultimately if you don't get the fans on board and you you erode the brand then it, then it won't work and, and that's what they came very close to doing when you talk about you know the rarity of him putting out those videos i saw that your pinned tweet on twitter or x and it would be for me too if you ever did one of these with us but an exclusive interview that you had with john henry almost a year ago now talking about you know not selling the team uh, that was a i i think we were we found it uh, interesting being in Fort Myers last year for spring training in Florida and, you know, Sean McAdam, uh, who was then with Boston Sports Journal, now works with us at Mass Live, had the um, quote from John Henry in one of those rare email Q&As that he did that, you know, Liverpool was not for sale. They were just looking for an investment. When had Liverpool ever sold anything? And that got a ton of play uh, in, in Britain, obviously. And, you know, Sean had... You know, yeah. one line in, in that story, and I, the joke for a couple of days was that his story had made him an international superstar just because he, <laughs> you know, had had included that. Um, 
you know, as I've tweeted, and as you probably know, John Henry does not speak to the media here. He does not respond to inquiries at all. He has not addressed the press in a formal setting since they traded Mookie Betts in February of 2024, or 29, uh, 2020, I should say. So four full years almost. Um, he did a couple of those email Q&As with select media members that he selected last year. Um, and of course, those people took him up on it. He's not at the podium for even the biggest decisions um, that the Red Sox face. And, you know, we was in the crowd when they introduced a new chief baseball officer, Craig Breslow, in November. But when we approached him, didn't say a word, just waved us away. I'm not talking. I'm not talking. Just from an access point of view. And, you know, obviously you did have that conversation with him in March. But is he as tough to reach and... Uh, is that something that fans or those who cover the team are bothered by as well? Um, yeah, I think I don't because there's this it's like a, a, the the Red Sox. I imagine there's there's a, a numerous layers to to management in the team, and they all purport uh, to represent the, the 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 ownership group as a whole. So, uh, but yeah, John Henry is still very much viewed as a figurehead. So, I think. Um, fans would like to hear more of what the plan is um, moving forward. But I think from John Henry's point of view, he'd probably say, well, I've addressed I've addressed that. Ultimately, the team isn't for sale. Right. Um, they're not looking to sell anytime in the future. And there's a reason for that. I mean, like, like in the US, I mean, team values over here uh, are booming, especially for the biggest sides. Um, but North American sports has, has kind of slowed down that, that increase in some respects. It's starting to so, show signs of it. Um, because it's all based upon uh, plans for growth, and and over here the biggest biggest driver big um, English teams have is uh, overseas media rights. Predominantly, the US uh, mm-hmm. market helps prop up media revenues, and that in turn turns into extra valuation. And then the brands are becoming more global because as can the US gets more more and more interested in the Premier League as a product. Um, but yeah, I think they would like to hear a bit more of him but maybe I think I don't know whether the same view is held over there as it is over here that whenever he does seem to say anything it seems to sometimes make things worse um mm-hmm. I don't certainly that was from, from conversations I've had with people in Boston when he was when he's addressed stuff it's usually opened up a can of worms and um right. and, and made for things to be more difficult more lines of questioning which maybe that that arrive from it um because he i think he does have he is quite candid and honest from from what i can gather so and um, but my actual access to him came from um it was out of the blue really I'd, I'd it was from a contact um who i know who kind of was able to help me out vouch me etc and and it was at a time in liverpool fans were getting very restless about ownership and it could have could have tipped a couple of ways but he'd already addressed addressed in part um, around the team sale. Um, the interview did with Sean McAdam in the, in the Boston Sports Journal. So I think he probably felt it was an extension of that, which was being given to local British media, um, like he gave a, an interview to local Boston media. So I think he probably felt it was um, a fairly even trade yep. um, in, in that respect. So, but um, yeah, I, I think fans, fans always want to hear more about ownership. Problem is they've, it's, it would it would never really be enough, you know. I think fans want to know about what's going on all the time. Whether it's um, they'll want to know now for, in Liverpool exactly what's happening with Jurgen Klopp's replacement. How far are they down the line, you know? So maybe the, the view they take is to say not much at all. And and to be fair, they have been 
that is a, a strategy I do have some some respect for. So it, I found it quite amusing on Friday when the Jurgen Klopp news broke. That immediately the, there's some outlets, you know, kind of breaking exclusives about who the new, next manager might be, when in reality nobody had any clue. Even the most plugged-in people in in the British media had no clue Jurgen Klopp was going to drop this decision on Friday. But FSG were informed in November. Um, so mm. it goes to show they do run a tight ship. And I think that's probably the way they like it. It's the way it's worked for them in the past. It won't ever change, I don't think. Um, but on the flip side of that, the people that work at the club, um, comms teams, et cetera, et cetera, um, and the way the club is run from a local level is um, is really fantastic. I mean, and, and it probably it is, it is really a... They are the kind of the gold standard of how you should run a club locally in, in terms of getting involved in the community and, and growing a proper football club and a business. But um, yeah, there's always going to be questions about ownership remaining aloof when when the, when the figurehead doesn't really say too much. And on that, uh, before we wrap, a couple more questions. Just like there is this perception here as well, and I think fans have always thought this. And fans here, I feel like, have had a disdain for all of John and Tom's and FSG's other businesses because they feel like it's taken attention away from the Red Sox, Liverpool chiefly among them where, oh, well, he wasn't a winter weekend. He must've been putting out a fire in England. You know, there's kind of that perception that, you know, the fans here feel slighted. And as the portfolio grows, we all know about the Pittsburgh Penguins, the involvement with the PGA. I think it's the biggest open secret that they eventually are likely to get involved with the NBA potentially in Vegas with LeBron after he retires. Like I think there's this big perception that ownership's attention is split in too many ways. And that, you know, people think that the Red Sox should be their number one baby, their number one priority. And that all of these businesses they add are bad for the Red Sox product, especially, you know, that theory kind of takes more of a stranglehold when, the team is losing as they have mostly over the last few years. My philosophy has always been, look, the more money they're bringing in, the better for all the businesses. It raises everything up. Um, but I think there's a fair question now about you know, how much John's involved on a day-to-day basis here, how much the commitment is there, or if he's moved on to other passion products because he's kind of reached the pinnacle with the Red Sox. Do, do Liverpool fans have that same type of uh, fear that the more they get involved with, the less focus will be on their club, or is it just so separated that you know they can handle everything they bring in in your mind? I think it all all goes hand in hand with how the team's doing. Um, yeah. So last year it was uh, you know uh, I, I don't think there's there's so much of the, the fans think he's too. I mean I, I suppose as you say, their Red Sox fans would say he's um more heavily invested in liverpool or or something but um but in reality that that said that's been said over here in the reverse so uh, and when they bought the penguins it was other oh, more interested in the ice hockey and now they're interested in the nba it's they're just bothered about um buying an nba team in vegas and putting lebron in charge and now it's they only care about the uh, the pga when in reality it's um it's a sports empire worth um you know kind of 14 15 no 13 14 billion dollars um through all its it, its portfolio and then you have it's a it's a business which is in growth mode and they are all in growth mode they need them all to succeed they're all i mean they're there for value creation fsgr so they they are there to make these things better to create value through that and eventually they will exit that you know this because 
it's anti-Darwinian to think everything goes up forever, right? So, um, but that's what they do. So, but I don't think I never they. they what I, I do think one of the good things that, <clears throat> and I always get I, I get it in the neck a lot over here for being, uh, you know, kind of pro FSG or something. I'm, I'm not particular. I, I, I'm I, I just think that the structure that they have in place at a local level um, is very good. I mean, the people that work at the club are good. They are they have usually been quite good. Certainly over here, in terms of getting the right people in the right places. So we had a sporting director who was tremendously popular uh, mm-hmm. called Michael Edwards. Uh, he was here for a long time. Um, Jurgen Klopp has been one of the, the club's most popular managers ever. And when you think about the fact that some of you know the, there are statues of the other managers who exist around the stadium, Bob Paisley, Bill Shankly, etc. Um, and one of the stands is named after another former manager, Kenny Dalglish. You know, it's there is there, there's a lot of competition for that title. So they've been good at putting the right people in the right places, and I think that's what they do. They um, they put the right people in the right places and try and it has to grow in a local level. They're all independent from each other. I just think John Henry's focus is on FSG now as a whole, um, as opposed to each individual. I think he is a, a baseball fan. Am I mm-hmm. right? He's a, his, you know, I think his, his history is, it's his, it's a sport he's into. It's what he's passionate about. And I think looking back at the way he was involved, maybe a bit more, proactively with the Red Sox down the years in the past, that, that probably points to that. Um, I don't ever really feel he's shares in that joy of, of, of football like he does in baseball, maybe. Um, I just think now it's about the business has become so big, FSG, that you maybe you have to step away from it all rather than spin individual plates everywhere. And you have to put the right people in the right places to be able to do that for you. I just think that's where it is. I mean, he's, he's a man in his 70s now and looking after this this big organisation, um, but other people are really looking after it now. Um, and he is the figurehead, but people always want to hear from the figurehead. Dave, we appreciate your time very, very much. Very, very insightful. And again, I think there are a lot of similarities between Liverpool and the Red Sox, and um, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, enlighten us on a lot of them. So thank you. Cheers, Chris. Thanks very much. Thanks again to Dave Powell for hopping on for that discussion about Liverpool, FSG, everything that comes with it. Plenty more coming on the pod this week. Ken Rosenthal needs no introduction from The Athletic. MLB Insider will be joining us later in the week, giving us a national perspective on the Red Sox and what they're doing or haven't done. So we're really zooming in this week. First international, then national. Maybe we'll take a local hack at this by the end of the week on the pod. In addition to the podcast and everything on the site at Mass Live. The Fenway Rundown Insider text a great way to catch up and keep track of everything going on with the Red Sox. Have a direct text line to me, to Sean McAdam, to Chris Smith. You get updates, you get news before the public has it. You have hints that things are going on, and you know how to do it. Text JOIN to 617-751-6257. Click the link and subscribe today. $4.99 a month after a 14-day free trial. 617-751-6257. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.